be in Matthew chapter 6. So you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Um, we, are, we are reopening kids' ministry uh, here very soon. Next week, we are uh, starting our Awana program. We're so excited to get going again. It's been almost six months since we've had kids over there in the other, in the other part of the building with us uh, teaching them and loving on them, and we, we just cannot wait to get back to it. And a lot has changed in six months, hasn't it? I mean, six months ago for the kids is like an eternity. Uh, I know my hair has changed a lot in the last six months, those of you guys that know me. Um, but what hasn't changed is our desire to teach the kids the Word of God, to partner with parents in discipling them. Um, and we still have needs in kids' ministry. I'm not here to recruit leaders. I just had to throw that in there because I have the, the microphone, so I'm done with that. Uh, but I am itching to get back. We are itching to get back so much. And so much so that what I want to do tonight is maybe give you a little taste uh, of kids' ministry. Uh, you know, with, with when, we're, when we're with the kids, we have a lot of fun. And I was thinking about what I could do to give you a little taste of what it's like over in kids' ministry. And uh, one idea I had that uh, I'm, I'm going to have to apologize to some of our pastors. I'm not going to give out snacks. Sorry. So no snacks for everybody. Uh, that was one idea, though. Another idea I had was to, uh, to dress up. And some of you guys know that I, sometimes I do that. Uh, but I figured if I did that, you guys probably wouldn't take me seriously. So I decided not to do that. In fact, there's this guy who comes every weekend. And a, few, a couple of years ago, when I first dressed up on the stage... Uh, I was, you know, I was wearing like a, you know, Middle Eastern outfit and uh, he, he just, that just took him by surprise. And now every week when I see him, he asks me, are you going to wear a toga today? <laughs> and I saw no toga today. Sorry. Um, another thing I thought about doing was leading you guys in VBS songs and teaching you some VBS motions. I think that would have been a hoot, right? I mean, we have, what do we have here once a month? We have our prayer and worship night where we have a little more lively and exciting worship. And if you want lively and exciting worship, come join us down there. We have that at every service. Kids know how to worship the Lord. So, so I'm not going to do any of those things, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something that w I'm going to introduce our study to you with something that we do in just about every single kids' ministry lesson. I'm going to give you a memory verse. What? Memory verse? Is he serious? Yeah, I'm serious. We're going to recite this verse together in just a minute. And the reason I'm doing this is because I think sometimes we, I wonder why it is we think kids should memorize scripture because, you know, we have Awana and we, we teach our kids, hey, you should hide God's word in your heart. But then we think we grow up and we don't really need to do that anymore. I mean, I think all of us should wonder, what, what, maybe I should... Uh, you know, revisit the art, the lost art of memorizing God's word. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word, O Lord, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Last time I checked, that was written by an adult, not a child. That guy, he was hiding God's word in his heart. We can do the same thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to say this verse together. If you could put it back up there. And the reason I, put, I picked this verse is because I think it really captures the essence of what we're going to talk about tonight. So can you guys say this with me? Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. 
God is a refuge for us. They're like trying to trick me. They're like, do you actually know what, Pastor Doug? <laughs> uh, so we're going to refer to that verse a few times. And the reason is, it, like I said, it really captures what I want to uh, teach you guys tonight. What we're going to teach about is, pray, is prayer. So let's pray now. Thank you so much, Lord, for prayer. That you desire that we would pour out our hearts to you, trust in you, that you would be our refuge. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would encourage your people tonight, that your people would be encouraged to pray, that they'd be encouraged to pour out their hearts to you as we look at prayer uh, tonight. We thank you for your word. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So Matthew chapter 6. This is right in the middle of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. It's, the Sermon on the Mount is from Matthew 5 through 7. And John Stott, he was a 20th century uh, theologian, and he summarized the Sermon on the Mount with, with these two words. He called it, uh, he called it, uh, my goodness, I already forgot, Christian counterculture. There it is. Christian counterculture. And when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, what you see is things that'll shock you. You know, things, especially the culture. You know, Jesus says to love your enemies. How often are you encouraged to love your enemies in the culture right now? Not very often, right? Or how about, um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble, for they shall be called sons of God. When is the last time the culture has encouraged you to be humble, to, to express humility. I don't think you see, you're, getting, you're encouraged by the culture very often to be humble. And the Lord's Prayer, as it's called, that we're going to study tonight, I'm going to call it countercultural prayer. Because as we look at this prayer, we're going to see how Jesus teaches us to pray. It's countercultural from how the world prays, and sometimes I think it can even challenge us and how we pray. Okay, so look at verse 5. Before we even get to the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is going to give us how we ought not to pray. So before he even teaches us how we ought to pray, he says in verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So this first error, it's the error of the culturally religious hypocrisy, right? And I'm sure you guys, you know, are familiar, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you know the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the day and they were, they were hypocrites. And they would pray, you know, out in public where people could see them and, and were they really praying to God or were they just trying to earn, you know, the praise of men? People would look on them and say, wow, that, that guy must be really spiritual. That guy, God's got his hand in his life. I wish I was more like this guy as they heard these guys' prayers. And Jesus is saying, no, that's, that's not how you ought to pray. But what about today? Do we, maybe, maybe you actually do memorize scripture. Have you ever been tempted to brag about, well, I memorized the whole, you know, book of Jude. Or maybe when, you know, you're doing, you're having great devotions times and you're, and you're talking to somebody and they're not doing devotions and you're like, well, 
I had two hours with the Lord this morning. I'm sorry, I don't know about what's going on with you, but you know, if you just do that, you'll, you'll, you'll be all right. Or how, how often do we come to church not to meet with the Lord, not to hear his word, but just to sort of, sort of maintain our Christian status? We want to make sure people see us at church so that we know that we look like Christians. I think this applies to us today even. And I think if you guys are honest with yourselves, if I'm honest with myself, this is challenging to me. And Jesus gives a solution. In verse 6, he says, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So here's the Christian countercultural answer pray in secret. Pray in secret. Pray to God. Because when you pray to secret, it's just between you and God. There's no exhibition going on here. You're not trying to impress anybody. It's just between you and the Lord. And don't get Jesus wrong here. Jesus isn't saying corporate prayer is wrong. As we're going to see in just a few verses, Jesus teaches us to pray our Father in heaven. That is corporate prayer. But he's, I think he's emphasizing that if we struggle with pride, if we're when we come before God and we're more interested in what people think of us than, more, more than, than what God thinks of us, maybe we should take a break and go and pray. Go, what does the memory verse say? Pour out our hearts before God privately, that he would be our refuge, that we would trust in him at all times privately. That's what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 7. He says, here's the second error. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. So here's the second error. It's the error of the culturally non-religious. So we saw the culturally religious, hypocrisy. The culturally non-religious is vain repetition. What does that look like? It looks like, you know, mumbling words when your mind is not engaged and you're just kind of going through the motions. It's almost like... Uh, you're playing this prayer video game and all you're trying to do is just get the high score. And the more words you say, the more you think the gods are going to hear you. And back in Jesus' day, there were a lot of people still worshiping idols. They didn't have a personal understanding of who God was and understand that God was personal, so they just said these words and they thought, the more I say these words, the more those gods will hear my prayer. It's like, you know, you hit a thousand words, Boom, now this God's going to hear you. I think that's kind of what Jesus is getting at. And Jesus says to not be like them in verse 8. Don't be like them. And how, how about us today? How often do we, when we're praying, maybe we're saying the right words out of habit, but are our minds engaged elsewhere? Are we thinking about the Broncos game on a Sunday morning at the 11 o'clock service? When, uh, you know, we're praying, or are we, are we really, you know, is it between us and the Lord? Jesus is challenges, uh, challenging us to have our minds be engaged when we pray. And to not be like these culturally non-religious people who are just speaking religious mumbo-jumbo, but their minds are engaged elsewhere. Jesus says, be countercultural. In fact, he says in verse 8, your father knows the things you have need before you ask him. So he's saying, 
Guys, God knows what you need before you ask him. So it doesn't matter how many words you say. God already knows it. So let your words be few. God knows. Trust in him. And one thing I love about this verse, especially with kids, is when you, when you, when you teach this verse to kids, kids are like, well, if, if I'm supposed to pray and God knows what I'm going to pray before I pray it and he knows what I need, why should I pray? That's a good question, isn't it? And I think the answer is in our memory verse. Could you put the memory verse back up? Please, let's say it one more time. Actually, this isn't going to be the last time. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. You see, God wants relationship. That's why we pray. That we would pour out our hearts before him. That's intimacy. That we would trust in him at all times. That he would be our refuge. That we're not just you know, rubbing on a magic genie three times to get our wishes, but we're coming before the God of the universe and saying, God, I want to be with you. It's, it's relational. And I think David, in Psalm 27, he had it right in verse 8, Psalm 27, verse 8, where he says, he's kind of having this interaction with the Lord, and God says to him, seek my face. And David's response is, when you said to me, Lord, seek my face, my, I said to you, your face I will seek. God wants us to seek him. He wants us to seek him as a person. He wants us to seek him as the God of all creation. That is why we pray. Even if God knows what we're going to pray, God wants us to seek him. So we've seen how not to pray. In verse 9, Jesus says, In this manner, therefore, pray. So before we get to the, the rest of this text, I want to do something a little more fun for you guys. So the first thing I'm going to do that might be a little countercultural is I'm going to teach the rest of this barefoot because I like to do that with the kids and I might get in trouble for this, but hey, this is about being countercultural. So I'm not sure if anybody's ever taught barefoot before, but uh, up here, so I'm going to do that. But here's what I want. Here's how you're going to get involved because with kids ministry, what we do is kids can't sit still, you know, for 40, 45 minutes or however long I'm going to go. Hopefully I won't go too long. We get them moving around, and what I would like you guys to do is to stand up with me and read the Lord's Prayer together. Would you guys do that with me, please? Just have your Bibles with you in hand, and we're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13 together. Why don't you start with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you guys. You guys can have a seat. So if someone walked into church right now, they think we were suddenly a Presbyterian church, I think. <laughs> What's cool about what we just did, ladies and gentlemen, is this is something that the church has done for you know, hundreds of years, just reciting this prayer. However, the, the, the same two errors that we just read through, this prayer has been subjected to those two errors. For example, maybe you grew up in a tradition, a religious tradition, where you were taught to memorize that prayer 
in such a way where you thought you were tough stuff because you memorized it and, you, and as everybody was saying it together, you noticed the person next to you wasn't saying it because they didn't know it. And then you're just thinking, man, I'm much holier than that guy over there. Maybe. I think there's some traditions that have erred in that way. Or maybe you were raised in a tradition where you were taught to memorize that prayer and recite it over and over and over again as if the words were magic. If I just say this prayer... Ten times, then God will hear me. Isn't that the same thing that Jesus was just talking about in verse 7? Vain repetition? No. Let me encourage you to look at these words maybe with fresh eyes of faith. If you've come from those traditions, you know, maybe this prayer is something you're just like, I don't really, you know, I'm not that familiar with it. I, I it's, it's painful for me. Let me encourage you. Let's, let's look at it together because it is scripture and let's see what Jesus, how Jesus would have us pray counterculturally. So look at the, how it begins. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven. This is radical. This is countercultural. Back in, in Jesus' day and today as well. Back in Jesus' day, Calling God your father, you know, that implied intimacy, relationship, where people would say to you, hey, who do you think you are that you can call God your father? You have to be this holy before you could do that. Or today in our pluralistic culture, where we have, you know, this religion and that religion, and it's, it's offensive if you say that there's only one God and you call him father. Who do you think you are to say that God is a father and God's not a mother? You might hear out in the world today. To which I would respond, well, Jesus, he died and rose again and he says God is father, so I'm gonna go with what he said. Thank you very much. But th the fact that God is father, this is personal. And I think the more I have grown as a father myself, I have four children, the better I have come to understand the depth of, of, of this, how, how awesome, how you know, almost incredible it is that we can come before the God of the universe and call him our father. You know, I have, like I said, I have four girls, and one of them, she, uh, when she was a little bit younger, probably like kindergarten, preschool age, you know, she would, she would come up to me, and I'm kind of a task-oriented person, so I'd be busy, you know, on the computer working or maybe reading a book or something. And, you know, but she was determined to get my attention. And she would come up to me, and here's what she always, she'd always do this, and she's famous for this. Uh, she'd, you know, sidle up next to me, and she'd say, um, pops? And how could you ignore that, you know? Um, pops? And, I mean, when I, as I was thinking about this and remembering that, my heart just melted. It still melts as I just think about that. And I'm like, God, is that how you would have us come before you? Um, pops, I'm struggling. I need help. I think it's very similar, this intimate relationship where we can come before the creator of the universe. Let's not, remember, let's not forget who he is, our father in heaven. He's the one who spoke the universe into existence. I read uh, Isaiah 40 recently, and there's this verse there that talks about how God is the one who sits above the circle of the earth, and all the inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers. You know, so we're just like these little grasshoppers hopping around, and here's God watching us, and, and yet we can come before him, and he hears us, and he wants us 
to come before him, that's radical. It's awesome. And you know, some of you may have had bad dads, bad earthly fathers. Don't let the mistakes of your earthly fathers keep you from running to your heavenly father who is good, who won't make mistakes, who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He takes care of his kids. Don't let those bad dads that you may have had keep you from running to your heavenly father who loves you. Because I think sometimes we can think, well, if God is father and I had a bad dad on earth, I don't know if I could, you know, run to him. No, you can because he's perfect. He is good. Verse 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you noticed what is absent from this prayer so far is me, myself, and I. All three of those are, are absent so far. This is countercultural. This is radical to our me-obsessed culture. This is a God-obsessed prayer. God is all over this prayer. Jesus would have us bend our will to be aligned with God's will. His kingdom come, his will be done. When I think most of the time the way we live, if we're honest, is my will be done, my kingdom come, hallowed be my name, if we're honest. And Jesus would have us pray, no, your will be done. Your kingdom come, hallowed be your name. You know, this, this weekend on Friday night and Saturday night, we're doing these outreach services uh, at 7 o'clock. Uh, you know, come in and invite some of your, uh, you know, unbelieving friends. This t-shirt, I'm wearing it. This is what we're going to be wearing just to celebrate the gospel. But this service is designed so that there be opportunity for God's kingdom to expand in our city. When we do these services, we ask people to invite unbelieving friends and we share the gospel in powerful ways, intentionally. When you pray, God, your kingdom come, you're saying, God, I want to be part of your kingdom. I want more people to come under your rulership because you are, you're the king. When you pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that kind of covers the whole kit and caboodle, doesn't it? All of earth, all of heaven. Because I think sometimes we might pray, Lord, your will be done in her life. Or your will be done in his life. Lord, your will be done in my spouse's life. In my kids' lives. But can I have this little thing right here? You know, can I just carve this out of all of heaven and earth so that I can have my will done right here? And God says, no, all of heaven, all of earth, your will be done. And you know what that means? That means, God, may your will be done at my office place, at my, my workspace, how I treat my coworkers. May your will be done in my home, how I treat my roommates, how I treat my spouse, how I treat my kids. Would your will be done on my phone, with what I look at on my phone? with what I text on my phone, with what I put out on social media, would your will be done there? And you might be thinking, well, what the heck is God's will anyway if I'm going to pray this? Well, someone else asked that question in Matthew chapter 22. They said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What does God want more than anything else? And Jesus replied very simply. He said, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. That's God's will, plain and simple. So when you're saying, Lord, your will be done, that's going to change you from the inside out because your will is going to be aligned with God's will. You're going to see the people out there that God's placed you around that you can be witnesses to, that you can show love to. And you're going to do it because you love God. What was our memory verse again? Pour out your hearts before him. Trust in him at all times, right? Because he's got a plan. His kingdom come. His will be done. And his will is good. Look at verse 11. It says, give us this day our daily bread. I don't know about you, but COVID sure has reminded me of how utterly dependent I am upon God. Before COVID, we had all these plans for our summer vacation. We had VBS plans. We had you know, plans for this and that. And all it took was one little virus that spread across the whole world and our plans were completely turned upside down. And I know that lots of people that have lost jobs, I think this prayer is so applicable to our crisis right now to remind us that all of us are dependent, utterly dependent upon God for our daily needs. I think this is countercultural to American culture because Americans, we're very used to planning, planning our lives, you know, weeks, months, years ahead and thinking that we got it all figured out. And Jesus is saying, no, you ask God for your daily bread. You ask him for just what you need today. Don't worry about tomorrow. You ask God for what you need today. And then when God gives you what you need, you say, thank you, Lord. I want to introduce you to um, the newest member of our family. This is uh, somebody that we adopted uh, this weekend. I... I was wondering how many people would say, aw, but and, and, um, you guys didn't disappoint. <laughs> this is Bilbo Puggins. He's eight weeks old. And the reason I'm sharing him with you is because when I was feeding him, uh, maybe Monday or Tuesday when I was thinking through what I wanted to teach you guys, it struck me how utterly dependent he is upon me to give him his daily kibble. If I don't give him his daily kibble, he's going to die. He is utterly dependent upon me. And, and it made me think, Lord, am I conscious? Am I really conscious of how utterly dependent I am upon you? How much I take for granted the food we have on the table, the roof we have over our heads, whatever, whatever our basic needs are. And honestly, I, my answer was, no, I'm not. Lord, would you teach me to remember that I am daily dependent upon you? Would the Lord teach you to be daily dependent upon, upon him? Remember, pour out your hearts before him. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So just as we need daily bread for our bodies, we need daily forgiveness for our souls. Why? Because we still sin every day, don't we? We're still sinners. And some of you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. I believe in Jesus, all my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, yes, amen. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
In a legal sense, yes, that's true. But those who are in Christ Jesus, we still make mistakes, don't we? We still mess up. We still sin. And John, writing to believers in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, he says, If any of us should say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And he goes on to say, But if you confess your sin, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God wants us to confess when we mess up, to repent, to turn from our sin. And here's why. It's because when, even as children of God, once we entered into the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, when we sin, what happens is it introduces this tension, this strain in relationship, relationally between us and God. Because God still hates sin, even when we commit sin. And it's the same thing that we experience with others, with, with, with family, when my kids sin against me. There's a tension in our relationship. They get mad at me. I get mad at them. Where, you know, where there's, there's, there's a problem. There's conflict. But are they still my children? You betcha. Do I still love them? You betcha. There's nothing they can do that could keep them from, beca- that could take them away from being my children. No matter what, they're always going to be my kids. And it's the same with God, ladies and gentlemen. When we become children of God, we're always children of God even when we mess up, even when we sin. And God wants us to be his children who turn from our sin, who confess our sin, who repent and turn back to him. And he is always there to receive us back. Scripture is very clear on this. In my experience, when my children, when they've sinned against me, we're mad at each other for a while, but when they confess, when they give me the real, I'm sorry, not the sorry, you know what I'm talking about when they just say it because they don't want to get in trouble? When they mean it, when they mean it from their hearts, they're usually, they're, there's, there's, there's tears and I'm crying and then we, we embrace and the relationship is restored. It's beautiful. Forgiveness happens and it's powerful. And it's the same thing when we turn from our sin and turn to the Lord. He's always there and that relationship is restored. And the other thing that happens when we understand God's grace, when we are at peace with God, the second half of this verse, we are then empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and forgive others. Is there anything more countercultural right now than forgiveness? Doesn't our culture tell us to get even, to get revenge, to harbor anger and bitterness towards our enemies? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Notice the order here in verse 11, or verse 12, pardon me. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We must be forgiven, then we can go and forgive. Paul puts it in Ephesians 4, verse 32, slightly differently. He says, writing to the church at Ephesus, be tenderhearted, Be kind to one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. See, once we understand that we're forgiven, 
what it cost God to forgive us, that God does not harbor bitterness and anger towards us anymore, even though we deserve it, that humbles you such that you can look upon the person that has sinned against you and you can say, God forgave me, I'm going to forgive you. But that takes power. It takes Holy Spirit power to be able to do that. And it's not until you look upon the cross of Jesus Christ and you see your sins nailed to that cross that Jesus willingly took your sin upon himself because he loves you, because the Father loves you. That humbles you. That changes you. And then how can you then harbor bitterness and anger against others when God has shown you such grace and mercy? I want to challenge you that if, do you really understand God's grace if you're unable to forgive those that have hurt you? And I I get it. People can really be hurtful. But consider what you have done against the Lord and that God has forgiven you and God is telling you, you go and forgive as I have forgiven you. This is, this is challenging. This is countercultural. It's radical. It's radical even for us because forgiveness is hard. But God will empower us to go and forgive by the Holy Spirit if we ask him to. Verse 13, he says, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You guys know this, but we're, we're engaged in a daily battle with the enemy of our souls. Some of you might find yourselves in temptation, even, you know, when you go home tonight. And this prayer reminds us that God's not going to lead us there. We brought ourselves there. The enemy has maybe lured us there, but God always provides a way of escape. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, he is faithful. Are you going to pour out your heart before him? Are you going to trust in him? And are you going to seek him as that refuge, as it says in that memory verse? to help you find that escape so that you would be delivered from the evil one or are you going to just say, you know what, I'm just going to do the sin because it's easy. Ask God, pour out your heart before him and have him help you. Ask him to help you find that way of escape. Lord, deliver me from this evil. Help me and then go forward. Um. And at the very, the very end of this verse, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Who is the one that we're trusting in? It's the one to whom belongs the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. This is the king of kings. This prayer, again, it's, it's God-obsessed. It begins with God. It ends with God, who he is. It's powerful. And I'd encourage you to memorize this prayer. Maybe you already have it memorized. But when you recite it, recite it in faith. Recite it trusting in the one who wants you, you know, to, to come before him in this manner. You know, sometimes I don't know what to pray. Prayer isn't easy for me. Um, and sometimes I'll just come to this prayer and I'll just pray, you know, something like this. Father, you know, um, Pops, you're in heaven, I'm on earth. Would you, would you hear my prayer? Lord, your kingdom come. Would you 
Help me be part of making your kingdom expand on this earth. Would your will be done in my life? Would your will be done today as I teach this message? Would your will be done as I go home tonight and and, uh, hug my kids and pray with them? Lord, would your will be done tomorrow? Would your will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven? Lord, would you give me what I need today? Thank you that you've fed me. Thank you that you've fed my family. Lord, would you forgive me when I have blown it, when I make mistakes and I make them every day. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your patience with me. Help me by your Holy Spirit to forgive others as I have been forgiven. Father, would you not lead me into temptation? Would you rescue me from the evil one? And would you help me fight the battles that you have for me? For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. If you memorize this prayer, you can just pray something like that. I didn't pray that to impress you. I didn't pray that. It wasn't vain repetition. It was taking the words of Christ and just pouring out my heart before God. And when you do that in the model that Jesus gave us here, it's powerful prayer. It changes you from the inside out. So as as I wrap up tonight, I want to encourage you, if you need prayer tonight, maybe you need prayer because you're struggling to be able to forgive someone that has hurt you. Come up and receive prayer. We should have pastors up on either side that will pray with you. If you're in the middle of temptation, come and receive prayer. That we could pray for you and ask the Lord to deliver you from the evil one. If you need prayer because you're struggling to run to God as Father because your earthly bad dad has hurt you, come up and receive prayer. And we'll encourage you to cry out, to pour out your heart to God the Father. You see how this prayer is so applicable to everything we're going through? It's a beautiful prayer. Do you, and if you need prayer tonight because maybe you haven't had your sins forgiven. Maybe this is the first time you've heard about the grace of God the Father. That God the Father is a God who loves that he's a God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you believe in him, if you put your trust in him, you can have your sins forgiven. Past, present, and future, you become a child of God, and you always will remain a child of God. That's such good news. It's wonderful news. Come and receive prayer if that's you tonight. But if you guys, you know, can say with me our memory verse one last time. That's how I'm going to wrap up. Could you put the memory verse up there one more time? Thank you. Say this with me one more time. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. You know, tomorrow morning, church, pour out your hearts before God. Trust in him at all times. Let him be your refuge. Let's pray. Thank you so much, God, for being such an awesome father that we can come before you just as a child comes before her dad and that with that childlike awe and trust. 
And Lord, I pray that for anybody who's here tonight that is struggling uh, with being able to forgive, that they would come and receive prayer. Anybody who um, is afraid to come before you because of the history with their bad dad on earth, that they would receive prayer, that they would come before you and say, I want to run to this Father in heaven. I want to pour out my heart before him. And Lord, would you help all of us to be countercultural with how we live and with how we pray, that we would pray in such a way that gives you glory, that we would pray not like the hypocrites who pray just to impress people, that we would not pray like the heathen, like the non-religious who just mumble words, thinking that through the, the volume and number of their words that they'll be heard, but may we pray in such a way, Lord, that we mean what we say and we say what we mean, that we would trust in you, that we would pour out our hearts before you and that we would come before you as our loving Father in heaven who wants us to seek him, who wants us to seek him as our refuge and strength. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus.